Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners, and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections. Welcome to the RhinoCast podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And balloons for the kitties. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we have part two of our conversation with Debbie Gibson. Dennis. Hey, Rich. How's it going? It's going well. I have a question for you. Have you gotten the reaction that I've gotten from folks about Rhino Insider? Yeah. Everybody that I talk to about Rhino Insider personally loves it because they're already there anyway. They're at Rhino. They're on Rhino's social media. They're on Rhino.com. They're listening to Rhino podcasts. And when I tell them, you know what, you can get points. It's a rewards program and you can get great stuff. For the things you're already doing, it's a no-brainer. They sign right up. And of course, for those of you just finding out about Rhino Insider, it's Rhino's loyalty program. It's for music fans in the U.S. If you're 18 and over, you can join for free and you get points in partaking in activities and, and connecting with Rhino. Then use your points to redeem for rewards. It's pretty awesome. So by engaging with Rhino on social media, telling Rhino what kind of music you like, reading articles on rhino.com, listening to this podcast, which you're already doing, watching videos, and making purchases, you get points that you can redeem for turntables, vinyl, box sets, cool Rhino swag and apparel, exclusive content, and discounts on even more music that you want to buy in the future. So it's pretty cool. Sign up today, folks. You go to rhinoinsider.com, click on Become a Rhino Insider, and then you'll get an email asking you to confirm your email address. And once that's done you can start earning points. So sign up today at rhinoinsider.com. Well, Rich, today we have part two of the conversation that executive producer John Hughes and I had with Debbie Gibson. And if you weren't amazed by the level of musicianship and talent that this woman has in part one, well, it will be confirmed to the second power in part two. And you can tell just by hearing her, she's a real ball of energy, and I'm sure she was fun to hang out with. But it's so impressive how much she has going on and her drive to create. I mean, I wish we all could get out of bed with that much energy every morning. I certainly know I wish I could. Let's get into the second half of the conversation that you and executive producer John Hughes had with Debbie Gibson. 
you wrote all your songs that had no co-writes. Yeah. That's, that is so incredibly it's rare. It's wild, right? But um, well, that, Back then, though, it's interesting. I just learned something from you because I always thought that back then they, I mean, I knew they pushed for producers. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know that they did push for co-writers even back then. As today, you can't write a song unless no, there's 12 people in the room. I know. It's so funny because at one point when I was living out here in L.A., I was like, I, I want to really be a writer. Like, I am a writer, but I want to be in the mainstream writing arena. The publisher the is going to put you in with an artist kind and, of thing. And I can yeah. say his name. We met with Gary Bowen at the time, who was running Atlantic Publishing, and he said he was the one to say to me, because I sat with, I opened my notebook, very mm. old school, and this was like a decade ago, like 10 years ago, not that long ago. And I played him song after song after song after song, and he goes... I could send these to artists and they will not cut them because you're just one writer. He's like, you have got, you've got to play the game. It's political. You've got to be in the room. Now, when I went and did my first Hallmark movie, I put a scene, I like wrote a scene into that movie where I was teaching these kids music. And I said, the girl walking by with coffee that goes, yeah, yeah. She's suddenly a writer on the song. And the guy going, you know, give, doing the beats is a writer on the song. And if you're in the room and that's, (laughs) and what's funny is you can look at it two ways. Like part of me goes, I could be snobby and go, well, how dare they? Or you could go, you know what? The songs kind of belong to everybody anyway. Does anybody care who wrote a hit song? They just want to hear the song. And if you believe in the power of music, you want the song to be out there. If this is the way they do it now, this is the way they do it now. Mm. So now I'm just not like, I'm not greedy. I'm not selfish. If I am in the room with people, I go, I w- again, I want them to contribute. I've already proven I could write a song by myself. I know I'm a writer. And I think when you know that, it makes you a better co-writer and collaborator and you can be inclusive. And I do love when like, you really authentically come up with something new that you never would have in, if it weren't for the collective energy of other people in the room. Electric Youth, and I saw that you still have the actual sign because there was no. I photo- did. There was no Photoshop. There was no Photoshop. You had to get room. an exactly. eight foot by four foot exactly. neon sign made and photograph it. What was different about? I mean, four hit singles still. What was it about that record that took it to the next level for you? Um, if there was, that is such a good question. I mean, on one hand, it was literally a continuation of the first album. Like, I was writing these songs, and then I was writing these I mean, I don't really know. No, no, that's I fair I mean, game. maybe production value to a degree. I mean, like, like to me, the electric... you made these records fast. You made these records... Yeah. You know, I mean, the old trick was, well, you know, electric a song youth, a day, yeah. but still, it never worked that way. But Electric Youth, we took more time. So that could have been something. And there was maybe a little more versatility also in the production because, like... You'd proven yourself, There was Electric Youth, which was all digital, and then there was... I mean, not all, but, like, primarily programmed. And then there was, like, should have been the one, which was, like, a live jam session. And I Mm. think there was might have been those more... more, Maybe more dynamics on that one. I don't know. And I just think it was, like, a momentum. And that was, like, 
Like, I remember when Lost in Your Eyes came out and, and the stations were like, you know, WPLJ exclusive or whatever. And they like, you know, <laughs> yep. like the watermark, yep. so right. to speak, yeah. on the record. And I was like, oh, my God, people are clamoring for my first single. Like, how crazy is that? I don't mind not knowing what I'm headed for. You can take me to the sky. It's like being lost in heaven when I'm lost in It was kind of a bold move to go with the ballad first, but I was like, let's just put the best foot forward. I mean, because right. I just felt like that was just the yep. strongest song. But you also won the ASCAP Songwriter of the Year Award with Mr. Springsteen. I know. Crazy. Well, not crazy. Because it was, when you think about songs and you think of craft of song, I mean, you probably are so close, but I can step back and listen to that versus the song that he wanted for and say, you know what? At that moment in time, you were on a par as a songwriter. That's very kind. No, <laughs> very, no, no, but but thank no, you. but it's no, but, 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 it's, the beauty, but it's Well, true. but the beauty of that award is it's based on the merit of like, the, these are the songs the people bought the most, right. listened exactly. to the most. And that's a really fun thing for me because I was never like, again, to say this, I was never like the cool kid in school. Who but you never I, were out to give the people I what never they wanted. I never won a Grammy. I never, yeah. like I wasn't the critic's darling. And so it's right. fun to win something based that that's really truly given to you by the people. That's like the people right. have spoken and given you this award, which is incredible. So I'm going to hand you this. New yes. Kids on the Block, The Hot Teacher. <laughs> oh, that was so fun. That was right about a year ago, almost a year ago. And I'll never forget this because, like, without getting harping on this, I've dealt with some serious health issues the past decade. And it was a moment I was laying in bed. Heather gets all the I'm laying in bed and I need to rest calls. My manager who's sitting mm -hmm. here and I was like... Okay, something's going on with my health. I need a minute. Just letting you know, I need to stay in bed for like three days. And Donnie Wahlberg texts like five minutes later, <laughs> hey, can we get you? It was Tuesday. Can we get you on a plane Thursday? Oh. It's like, well, it's almost three days. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and like that's the, the thing in me that always like, you know, my friend Matt Goss, who's a fellow artist, calls it Dr. Show. Yeah. Dr. Show. Like, showbiz comes calling. That audience is there miraculously like, she can walk. Like that. <laughs> but literally, that's what happens. So that's what happened. So I, I was invited to do that. Kind of like a grown-up version of the Britney strut down the hallway kind of thing and hot for teacher and well you're getting uh, typecast because you were in Katy Perry Friday night too in kind of the same role well no I was, little, oh, kind of, I was a little kind of I was a little mom. more of a you know Long Island looking <laughs> mom with the, yeah but uh, like channeling my mom in that with like the bad perm right um, no but this was really fun because I feel like that's been represented like that's who I am like I've got that side but even John Knight who I've been friends with for years was right he was in the hallway going like Deb <laughs> I didn't know you had this side I'm like dude I'm like well into my 40s like but it's funny because when you start young and very pure and that's your image it's like you're 
people are constantly... The fun thing about that is you can constantly surprise people because they have you pigeonholed forever. Mm. And, like, even though you keep doing new new things and you're, like, you know, you find yourself saying, like, I'm a grown-up. Like, hi, I'm almost 50 and I'm saying I'm a (laughs) grown-up. Yeah. (laughs) But you get to do that. Like, it's fun. It's very fun. It's like a very, you know, kind of a wink-wink thing, that video. It was so much fun to do. Tell me about the Lamont Dozier record. Oh, how fun. Trying to remember when and where we even met for the first time or if it was Atlantic that wanted to pair us. That might be what it was at the time. I always had such respect for musical history. Mm-hmm. And I was doing so many Holland Dozier Holland songs on my tour. I was doing a big Motown medley. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And he was just in a mode where he wanted to be kind of more young, relevant, mm-hmm. pop. He was doing tracks with it's somebody. It's a culture and- club. Uh, move away. I think Yuko wrote that with them. So, oh, yeah, cool, cool. That was I, a thing that was happening with right, him. Right, he time. was just wanting yeah. to kind of be in the mix. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I went to. He sent me some tracks, and then I went to his house. We literally had a barbecue and wrote songs. Oh wow! Like barbecuing back in the studio, was that in writing. Detroit? No, it was here. Really? It was here in L.A. Well, that's yeah, because so much Motown did move here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, Detroit, everyone, everyone, yeah. everyone ends up in L.A. <laughs> for a moment, anyway. I. I did recently, too. But, yeah, that was amazing. And Anything is Possible is so cool because I don't think it sounded like either one of us. Like, I think it had its own vibe. Well, that's why I was listening to it. That was That's where I was going. Yeah. That he brought you so much and you brought him so much. Well, it was like, and when he played me that track, that track was rich and it was deep and it had this different tempo and a different groove that I'd never done. But then... I kind of added my positive lyric spin and mm-hmm. anything's possible and kind of counteracted that. And the video was super fun. And yeah. I loved like when the two of us were kind of in the suits and the hats mm-hmm. doing, no matter what it is, it's possible. I said, huh, anything is possible. <laughs> that was the single, Such right? a fun Wasn't moment. It? it was a single. That was the single. And fans got upset because I wore black in the video. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, my gosh. Alert the media. But it's true. I think they were so, again, like they were so attached to the fact that like she's the girl who wears color and mm-hmm. is upbeat and is very innocent. And it was like, it's like, I didn't. You know, look slutty or trashy, you know, but it was like she's wearing black. Like, Mm. that's that was my existence, though. Like, again, like you said, I was very self aware. I was like, oh, wow, this is fascinating that people are so attached to me being a certain way. And I had to always be careful to not let that affect my choices. Pop music gets a bad name so much, and yet it does. <laughs> back back when you were doing this, and we grew up on the same thing. We grew up on WABC and WPLJ and mm-hmm. WNEWFM. We grew up when Top Forty was Top Forty. It was the Stones next to the Beatles, next to you. I mean, it was everything. Mm-hmm. It was this mash, mm-hmm. and that's that's why right. We're, pop music always meant popular music, but then it became like its own genre. Exactly, it became a bad word. So, so how do you feel about when someone comes up to you even today and it's kind of like, well, you're a, you're a, you're a pop, mu-, and you're not because you've gone so far to prove 
that you're not a pop artist. But I embrace being a pop. Like I go, yes, call me a pop artist. It means I write melodic, hooky, popular songs, and that's okay. But like, I wrote what I liked, though. And over many years, I didn't have certain certain albums were not hits because I still was writing what I liked. And if trends were not doing what I was doing at the time, I wasn't trying to chase them and fit myself into whatever was happening, which is why I always had the twin theater career going because mm. I knew that was a place I could just also be me in another arena without having to feel, you know, like, oh my God, I'm living and dying by the charts and I have to have another hit. And I never felt that desperation because I felt like, no, I have a multifaceted career and mm. it might be featuring music, pop music one t- one month or one year and theater another year. And so I was always like, all right, so if my albums feel like this side Thing to side project to people, so be it. I'm just gonna get them out there into the world as, and take it as far as I can. And it's fun because again, the, the diehard Deb heads out there, mm-hmm. the albums that you know, it's, it's like this with many artists. Just because an album is popular doesn't mean it was your best work either. Mm-hmm. A lot of my best work never saw the light of day, except for my diehard fans loving it, and that's kind of fun because they they have it. That's it's all theirs. have to go there. 1988 Madison Square Garden, Atlantic Records 40th anniversary, Led Zeppelin, The Who, and you. What do you remember about that night? Anything? A lot. Um, my God. Uh, so, I know that I was scheduled to do, I think it was Shake Your Love Out of the Blue and Only in My Dreams. And I was like, I have, you guys, I have got to sit in an instrument and actually show me a musician or I'll get booed off that stage. That's right. what I remember saying. And I've told this story before, but it's so vivid. I literally, like, I always had guts. I was always petrified on the inside, but I was like, I've got to, if I don't ask, I'll never know. Mm. I sat on the edge of the stage and, and had the executive producer captive at Soundcheck, and I said, it was like Fanny Bryce going, Mr. Ziegfeld, Mr. <laughs> Ziegfeld. I was like, you have got to let me do a fourth song. It's got to be a ballad. I've got to sit at the piano. And they gave me the extra time on this wow. live wow. HBO telecast. But I like all of it made me such a nervous wreck that by the end of the night, I was like, oh, my God, I got to go. I, I was like, like panic attack land. I was, you know. So I, I did what I did on stage and I felt great. A lot of my classmates were out there mm. and. I remember being aware of that however many million, 30 million people, I don't remember how many millions of people were watching it live on HBO. I mean, I remember being very aware of all of that and just like in disbelief that I was on this legendary label with these, you know, legendary bands and artists. I mean, it was a wild night.
Great time to be on Atlantic. Right? Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Let's time travel. Lost in your eyes, 30 million streams, Foolish Beat, I think, 10 million. So that, you know, and this is today, right? That's a lot of streams and a lot of popularity for music that's been around a bit. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, where do we start? Do we start with the serious radio show? Do we talk about Lucifer, the bloody celestial karaoke jam do, <laughs> do we talk about you know let's just start with america's most musical family because yes. no i always say no one needs another talent show but and this I think but this one can't be enough there's so much one, talent out there but yeah. this one we are family this is a different thing yeah there's a there's a whole different level on this one there is like you know my dad and I might have auditioned for this yeah. way back when, really. Like, and there are father-daughter duos, which is so mm. heartwarming. You know, it sounds again. I'm the person who's like an advocate for like cool doesn't mean what you what people want it to mean. To me, cool is like, wow, a family can sit around and watch this show together. The fact that these families are making it cool to keep their family unit together through music, like brings literally brings tears to my eyes because there's so much out there threatening to tear families apart right now. So anything that is a, a message to kids that, that says, no, you can like hang with your family, mm-hmm. you can make music with your family and the music can be cool. Mm-hmm. Like what we do want to, you know, hip, cool and current and modern. And um, it's really, really an amazing show. The inspiration that comes from these families, because it's rooted in something. Nobody's putting a singing group together on a TV show. This is like these families are in their garages and in their living rooms doing this for the joy of it. And a TV show came along and said, we're going to shine a spotlight on you. And it's on Nickelodeon, right? It's on Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. We're approaching the finale. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the winner will be announced, and the winner is now signed to Republic Records, which is no joke. Right, seriously. And coming out with a single any minute, it's very exciting. Speaking of singles, you have Girls' Night Out? Girls' Night Out. Yeah, it's the new single, and the Tracy Young remixes just dropped, right? Yes, and the Tracy Young remixes for me. So two things. So Sean Thomas, who's 17, oh, he's 18 years old now. He was in my Hallmark movies playing my student. He produced the original pop version of the track. I just think surround yourself with, like, younger, cooler people Mm -hmm. all day long. Because I'm always going to bring what I bring, but I want to hear like a young, modern take on anything I do. So anyway, he's amazing. He's like my go-to track guy. I've now started co-writing with him. He's like just an incredible kindred spirit musical collaborator. I'll promote him. Check out Follow Sean Thomas everywhere. He's his own artist and writer in his own right. I love young talent. But I knew that this song had the club potential, and I credit my manager, Heather, for saying we should call Tracy Young. And when you look at everything she's done, and she's like the go-to remixer mm-hmm. for all the divas, Yep. and there's a reason. And again, I think she usually takes the reins, but this with this, I got super involved in mm-hmm. a couple, you know, in the details. Like, I let her do her thing because she's brilliant, but then I, you know, kind of fine-tuned with her, and we just had a great musical chemistry, and it turned it into a whole other song, really. It's giving it a whole other life. We're reshooting. We had done a video, but we're going to reshoot the video to this version. It's super vibey. She's from Miami. It's got a a kind of Miami hypnotic cool feel. And one of the mixes, which is the Vegas vibe mix, Mm -hmm. it it reminds me of the Little Louis Vega Only My Dreams mix because it takes you on a journey. Right. It starts 
super hypnotic and then it kind of launches into the dub, into like a dub mix and then comes full circle back into the so hook and a, out. And it's a 10 to 1 track, as we call it. Is that what you call it? Yes. I didn't know. Educate you, me. Because you played it 10 minutes to 1 a.m. And like the floor is yes. packed and everybody's I love it. It's like the 11 it. o'clock, exactly. like the 11 o'clock number on Broadway. Exactly. 11, exactly. 11th hour, 11 o'clock, whatever it is. Yes, that's right. amazing. The 10 to 1. 10 to 1. <gasps> yep. <laughs> I might have to write a dance song called 10 to 1. There you go. So again, going back to the fact that I'm a radio fan, fan of Sirius XM, had a subscription Mm -hmm. in my car long before they approached me and constantly was up there promoting all my projects. And so they offered me a show on the blend and it just seemed like a perfect fit. And I just love, I love variety in music, as I've been saying. And so... Where do you track it? Do you track it here or... I have my little travel microphone that I plug into my iPhone and I do it wherever I am. And sometimes they yell at me because there's too much noise because I'm on the road and I can't find (laughs) it. Like on tour, I was like, well, I either have the bus with the generator going or I have the dressing room with new kids sound checking. Like there's no quiet place to go. But that makes it real. It It does make it real. Radio shouldn't be sanitized anymore. No, I mean, I I just usually say like, hey, I'm in a hotel and Mm -hmm. there's buses and whatever. But it's super, super fun. I'm really enjoying that. Do you get to pick the music? I do. Really? Wow. Very, very rarely do they say, no, we don't want you to play that song. Wow. I send them playlists. Sometimes it's lesser known artists. What channel is it on? Channel 16, The Blend, every other Friday night, 6 p.m. Actually, 3 p.m. Amazing. I've listened. It's pretty cool. It's fun. But that's why I wanted to make sure you picked the music. I picked the music. I picked the themes and the music, yeah. So, Lucifer. So, Tom Ellis, years ago, his show was called Rush, right? The first show, was it Rush? Yeah, on USA Network. He um, had put in a personal request for Only In My Dreams for the opening episode. And he Hmm. was playing this really cool rock and roll concierge doctor. And and he was, like, playing it on cassette in his car. Like, it was just a (laughs) wild scene. Anyway... Um, you know, we helped facilitate him getting the track and everything. And then I DM'd him like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're using track. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I know your wife. He's like, oh, she's going to be my ex-wife and whatever. So we had like a banter. <laughs> of we course. had a banter. I did Grease, Grease in the West End with his now ex-wife. And now he's married to another lovely, lovely gal. This episode came up, This, which, by the way, was born of the cast and crew actually going out for karaoke, I found out. Oh, wow. I can't give too much away because they're super protective because they love the fans to be surprised. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you why everyone's bursting in a song in the episode. It's a it's a very cool thing. Just like a week and a half ago, we got the first inquiry, just like an avail check. Is she avail? Is she mm-hmm. interested? And I had declared January my month to rest. Well, you don't rest so much in show showbiz when cool <laughs> things are going go on. Again. Who wants to? Like, pick another month or it'll never, or, or the rest right. will never happen and that's fine too. Um... But yeah, so it came up and the role is like this, you know, 
soccer mom slash helicopter mom. Mm. I'm not a mom, so it's like totally unrelatable to me. <laughs> but, you know, I called my oldest sister and I was like, do you really like take on the person? Like you say we when you're talking about your kid and they're like, it's true. Mm. Parents oh, yeah. do that. You know, like my sister says, she, you know, she's like, yes, we're applying for colleges. or we're. <laughs> anyway, it's a super fun character. I sing in it. I don't think it's been said what I sing, so I won't say that. But I sing. I, I sing with Tom, and he's incredible. He sings on a lot of episodes. Like, he, you know, he plays piano mm. and sings. Here's the thing. And I, I said this also to my manager the other day. I said, listen, there was a chapter in my career where I was doing some you know, radio promo gigs to like half empty cornfields mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere to promote a single or whatever. When you, it's so good to have those moments because when you have those moments and you feel like nobody's appreciating me, nobody's listening to me, nobody gives a crap. And then you have a day like I had on the set of Lucifer right. where your energy is just appreciated and embraced and you just go in with your work ethic mm-hmm. and you're my you know, when it was my work ethic and my joy of doing what I do and what I was saying earlier is, you know, I don't have like a ton I you know, it's 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 a really meaty scene, but like I went and I coached it with my acting coach because that's what I know to do. Like I just know to be as prepared as possible, especially like you're a guest star. You don't want anybody waiting on you. You want to know your lines inside yeah. out. You want to hit your marks, you want to know your music, you want to know your nuances you know for the track and everything and so went in and recorded and like everybody was there like the director and the showrunner and the you know the who's also the writer of the episode and everybody just could not have been and i by the way i love to be produced and directed because i produce and direct myself enough and i can always like give you a crafty vocal or a clever take on a scene i want someone to be like no, I want you to rethink this or think it this way or try it that way. And and that's what this team did. And it was such an incredible, incredible day that like goes down in history for me as like an all-time career high moment. How do you want to be remembered in musical history? What do, what do you think your legacy is going to be? I love that question. You know, I think that, again, people want People want to feel joy, mm-hmm. and I think people feel joy when they hear my music. And they hear they hear the joy. People feel joy, like, even going back to doing that, you know, the day on the TV show yesterday. It's like, when you watch a certain show or you see a certain artist, if they're having fun, you're having fun mm-hmm. watching and listening. And so, if I, if I gave someone, like, relief from their daily stresses and their life and maybe help them to feel less alone. On the mixtape tour, and I bring this up because you talked about the gay clubs, mm-hmm. and I literally, I think about it, and I, I, I might actually cry. Oh. Grown-up fans come up to me, and they say, you didn't know it, but you were my friend in mm-hmm. school. And not just my friend, but my protector and my escape. And particularly the LGBTQ community, people come up and they say, I was being bullied, I felt alone, People thought about ending their lives, you know. I mean, it was that. The society still is judgmental, but it was that oppressive and judgmental at the time. So to just to be called a friend to somebody, like, who I didn't actually know, Mm -hmm. and to have been their, like, silent partner and maybe helping them get through a day and even bigger issues and challenges in life, that's incredible. But mostly, I want to be remembered for being a kind person. Period, end of story. I have gone through a lot with my health. I have had moments where I felt like 
I couldn't sing. And I thought, well, what would my life be without my identity as a singer? I don't want to be someone who gets my whole identity from my art either. Mm. So I really made a decision at that point to always feel good about just waking up and being a good person. And I feel everyone can own that. You know, people in every walk of life, in every profession. I just had this lovely exchange with the woman in this building cleaning the bathrooms. Mm -hmm. She made me feel good. I made her feel good. That's it. That's like, in a weird way, that's just all there is. Ultimately, I want to be remembered for that, for lifting people up. You are all my brothers, though I don't know you by name. You are drastic measures needed when ashes turn the tides. And we stand up for each other. Dennis, what was your biggest takeaway after having that conversation with Debbie? My my biggest takeaway is that, you know, we, we know about so many artists that started in their teens and they've disappeared. Debbie Gibson has never gone away. I mean, she's got a record on the dance charts at this very moment. It's always encouraging to see somebody that had a lot of success not lose their drive, keep their creative spark, and stay out there creating art that inspires people's everyday lives. And thank you so much to Debbie Gibson for spending the time with John Hughes and myself at Rhino headquarters. It really was a dream come true. And thank you folks for listening. Don't forget to visit rhinoinsider.com and become a Rhino Insider today. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino podcast. Executive producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by Pop Cult and Rich Mahan Promotions. All rights reserved. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro. Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.